Thank you for joining us today at River City Church, a church living in love. If you have a prayer need, would like to speak to a pastor, or have questions about today's message, please email us at info at rivercitysmyrna.com. For more information or to give to the ministries of River City Church, please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. God. So yeah, for those who don't know, we start off every Sunday with the reading of a psalm. So Psalm 84, what, can you hear me? I'll try to change my, my scripture reading voice. Here we go. Psalm 84, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, and whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God, out of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. So like even just the beginning of Psalm 84, where it talks about this like love sickness, this like groaning for the presence of God, this yearning. Like that's the part that just grips me because lately for me specifically, it's been, we had this moment a few weeks ago in the car with me and my wife and it was just this realization. We were just kind of listening to some worship. And it wasn't like an emotional moment, but at the end of it, like I just started to weep and I didn't really know what was going on inside of me. And it was just this concept of like, man, I just miss God. I miss, I miss his presence. I'm longing. I felt this like love sickness just really like take over. And so like even in that, I just realized like as I've been kind of like walking that out and kind of discovering that, I've realized that like I'm fully myself when I'm in love. I'm fully myself when I'm just yearning for something that's outside of me. 
And it's so funny because there's just people, uh, something's going on in the church, just God's doing so much. Just with the conversations we've been having, we've just been realizing that, like, there's this desperation for the presence of God. Like, we're just not, like, mediocrity just can't be a part of our lives. We just can't settle into it. And that's when, I don't know, that's when we've been experiencing more breakthrough. Just, just everyone starting to encounter God again. But it's coming out of that place of truly being desperate for God and desperate for his presence. So, again, I just want to take even that heart into worship. That God, God, we are just so hungry for your presence. We just yearn for you, God. It's not even something that we can conjure up, that we can create, God. But, again, it's just you doing that inside of us, God. It's just our deep desire to connect with you. Lord, even in just in worship, that, again, when we get to celebrate you and just, just who you are, your goodness no matter what season of life that we're in. God, just, again, cultivate hunger inside of us just to be able to pursue you, to truly say yes, to surrender everything. Because nothing else matters, nothing else fulfills it, God, but we just go after you. We choose you because you chose us. So, Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would just come in the room, that we would just, again, enter into your gates with thanksgiving. We would just enjoy you for who you are. Jesus, we love you. Lord, let us just be free just to be able to express our love and our adoration today, God. I ask for encounters with you today, Holy Spirit. Amen. That verse about covers it. We find our hope in you. We find peace and comfort. You are our all in all, our King of kings, our Lord of lords. Our names are written on your heart. God, we love you and we trust you, Jesus. Show us what that really means, God, to give you everything. And if we aren't willing we're not doing that, Lord, would you guide us, hold us, direct us, God, through your love and your presence, Lord, just going with us, Lord, in the rest of this service, and your presence would just be heavy on Jordan, Lord, and that it would go with us for the rest of this week, God. Let us start here and not turn back, not go backwards, but only move forward and deeper in with you, God. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So I've, I have more notes than someone should have for this message. I'm going to prepare you. I'm going to try to be as brief as possible, um, and I'm going to jump right in. The, we, we started in First Peter Last week, we've been in Mark for a year and a half, and we just moved into 1 Peter this week. We felt like when we were reading in Mark that we saw the life of Peter and felt like it was really something that we needed to hone in a little bit more on. So going forward, we're going to be in 1 Peter. Josh preached the first message last week, and some of the things he said I wanted to, to kind of 
regurgitate, regurgitate those things to you. So 1 Peter, written as a father. Peter writing, he's probably writing this book when he was 60 to 65 years old. So he's writing as a father to a group of people. These people were exiles. If you'll pull up verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia who were chosen. This is the area around Turkey, present-day Turkey. And these would have been people. They're aliens, and another way to translate would be exiles. They're people who were coming out of Rome where it was a lot of persecution happening. Some of the greatest persecution in the history of the Christian church happened in AD 64 when Nero began the beginnings of persecution among Christians. And what he did is there was a fire that broke out that many believe that he started the fire in order to rebuild Rome because he had a love for architecture. And he started this fire, and then he used Christians as a scapegoat and blamed it on them so that people didn't come back at him for it. And it began a persecution all throughout the region among Christians. And this is a, a picture that was, that was painted in the 1800s, kind of depicting these are Christians that are put on these large stakes. They're rolled up in pitch, and they are lighting them on fire while they're alive. This is the level of persecution, and Nero is sitting in that little chariot watching. So this is the type of persecution. And these people, this, this book and this letter is written to these people, the ones who's, who have made it out or are in hiding, who are undergoing some of the most intense trials that a person can undergo. And there could have been their family members who had passed away through the persecutions. And they're trying to figure out how do I live life despite all of these things. And I think we have to be really aware that these people had an intense understanding of the gospel. In order to continue on and believe this message, you have to really, really believe it. And I, and I think sometimes we confront these things in our lives where it causes our ground to shake, and they're not, they pale in comparison to this, but they're big to us. And it causes the ground to shake in I think one of the issues with, with the way that we approach it is we just don't have a good understanding of what is the gospel at all. Like, if we really understood it, we would be able to walk in confidence. We would. So, I want to read verse three, uh, chapter 1, verse 3 and 5. Josh read this last week. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for his salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So Peter calls this thing that they have, that they obtain, is this living hope. And I think it's something about even that term, a living hope, that for me, it just, it, it confronts me. I, I don't, sometimes when I'm going through difficult times, somebody's, you know, you, you got your Christian brother or sister, they come up and they say, it's okay, there's hope. And it's almost like one of those laughable things. You're like, yeah, I got it. I know that, right? But, and I kind of just want to push it off. Like, it's kind of like the, the Christian cop-out of like, but what about my life? Like, what about the actual issue? Well, there's hope. Is there? Like, is there really hope? 
I remember being in India for the first time about four or five years ago, and I was in a, a, a business that was started called Daughters of Hope. And it was started in an area where women were really mistreated and oppressed. These women had typically alcoholic or abusive husbands, and they live in a paternal society where they don't have really any opportunities to advance in life. And so they're just left at the bottom of the social ladder. And this business had started to give these women jobs and provide hope for them. So the first time I enter into their facility, I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm like, wow, this is pretty amazing. And I look outside, there are these barred windows and there's a, a, a rock yard that's outside. And there's people just slaving out there. I mean, just trying to make it. They're just trying to make an honest wage to be able, they live in a shanty town right across the street. And there were a couple of kids that were standing very hopelessly at this window that were probably three and four years old. And they had, they just had this look on their face like there was little hope for them. And I had to I kind of reframe for me, what does it mean? What does living hope mean for that, those children? Because the, the post-Christian approach for us is, well, here's salvation. If you only knew that Jesus, God loves you, and the kid, has, the kid doesn't even have water, right? There's, there's not even shelter for the child. And he's, he's working, laboring 12-hour days as, as a child. He wouldn't even be in elementary school here. So what is hope? Like, what does living hope look like for them? It looks very different, right? In this, in this culture, it looked like we're going to provide jobs for people, and it's going to provide a level of hope in the midst of their current circumstances. So how do we deal with the hope of something that's future, something that's to come, right? The second coming of Jesus and the things that we read about, and then also just looking at our actual issues in life. And I, so that's what I want to talk about today. And I think it's just disingenuous to assume that, that we can just say, well, here's salvation. And this is normal in the history of, of Christian missions, is that we come and, and we say, here's, here's Jesus, here's Jesus, all the while that people are, are suffering. And we're actually kind of moving towards a more social gospel, which is an overreaction, where we're saying, if you just alleviate their needs, then, they, they, then you totally eliminate salvation. And that's not right either. I think there's a middle ground where we look at the present and the end. So how do we deal with our present trials? The approach of, I think, that we find in the passage we'll read today is that the end for the believer informs our present. It totally transforms the way that we look at our current reality. If we, and, and this is something that we, we get mixed up because I think as Christians we begin to impose, we impose salvation on people who don't have it already and don't understand it, and it looks really sloppy and looks, I think it's a, a disingenuous approach to interacting with people. And we, we start to look at someone who's in desperate need, that, that child that's sitting in the window, and we just say, look, like, if you just had Jesus, if you just knew Jesus loves you, there's no grid for him to be able to enter into a life in God. Like, you have to enter into the present. So the, 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 the process is really opposite when we enter into the world. The process when we enter into the world is I'm going to work from the present towards the end, 
But our approach is totally different. It's we're going to start at the end, and we're going to understand the beginning. We're going to understand our lives now. So Peter, in this passage, is entering in as a father, 60 to 65 years old. He's entering in and using father language, and I think that that is going to be very vital, and I'll explain why later. But he's going to give us instructions now on how to live out the living hope. How do we even do it? So I think there's two questions that we're going to have to really tackle in this passage. Number one, what is the living hope? Which I think is the most important question. What is it and what isn't it? And then two, how do we live it out? Like how practically are we supposed to live out this, this gospel when when the end doesn't match the beginning. Like, I hear and I get that, that one day everything's going to be peachy and there's going to be golden roads and everything, but what about the deep hurt I have? And how do I, how do, I do this? It doesn't make sense. So Peter gives us instructions, and you have to take this passage and understand it in light of those people on, on those stakes. You have to understand it in that context. So we're going to start 1 Peter 1, verses 13 to 25. I'm going to read here. You guys can read behind me. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lust, which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. If you address as Father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things, like silver or gold from your feudal way of life, inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood, as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Since you have an obedience to the truth, Purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren. Fervently love one another from the heart. For you've been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh, this is a quote from Isaiah 40, all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flowers fall off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. So God, humble us before your word. Don't let us come to it with presumption or our own agenda. God, help us to read it and receive it as children. God, we are come before you aware that we are pretty clueless about how to move forward in life. But I thank you that you provide us words of encouragement and a route towards healing. 
and we embrace that. In Jesus' name, amen. So, so I said two questions we're going to work out of. The first one is what is the living hope and what isn't it? I want to start by just answering the question. I think that the living hope is having faith in a future imperishable existence that affects our current perishable reality. I'll I'll read that again. Having faith in a future imperishable existence that affects our current perishable reality. There's language that Peter uses in this where he he says it over and over again, this perishable, imperishable. And I'll read you just a couple of them so you can catch it. Verse 4, to obtain an inheritance which is perishable and undefiled and will not fade away. Verse 7, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable even though tested by fire. Verse 18, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life. Verse 23, for you've been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God. So we see that he uses this language. And I think that before we can even comprehend what is imperishable about this living hope, we have to first start with what in our lives is perishable and acknowledging what those things are so that we can have an understanding of what lasts. So some of the things I just come to me, and there's plenty of them, that are perishable. Our security on earth is, is perishable. We cannot, you, the people that are on those stakes, they, they cannot put their hope in being alive or in having a secure future. That is just a perishable reality. If, the, if our hope in life is that we are going to be safe, it will fail. You will not have that in this life. One day you will die, and that is a reality that we all have to come to grips with. We cannot put our hope in our spouses, our children, our friends, any person on this earth. They are, they are like dust that just goes away like all of us, like it vanishes. Our hope cannot be, and I'm not saying that they don't testify to the hope, but they can't be the hope. If you put your hope in a spouse, I promise you they will fail you. If you put your hope in your children, they are going to disobey. If you put your hope in your friends, they're going to move away. And then you will feel lonely and abandoned. So what is our hope in, right? Is our hope in our jobs, like some level of security that our jobs provide us, or maybe the success that we're able to accomplish in those jobs? What about being the best at whatever you do. I think there's even a way that we approach Scripture and we say, if I can be morally perfect, if I can do all the things that Peter lists out here, then then I will, I will have the hope. Even I think we, there's an approach that we have towards the word that is perishable. There's, if, if our view of this is that it is, is a prescriptive way to live life, then that will perish. But if we believe that the hope is in the person behind this, that it testifies to, then we have hope. Because that person does not fade away. I think 
he uses this language in here, and I, I, I think there's a reason for it. He says, consider your forefathers, right? The, the forefathers who, had, who testified to this feudal way of life. And I think for us, we have to maybe think through that too. Like, what, is our, what have our forefathers given us? What have your actual fathers given you? What have your actual fathers provided for you that is perishable, that a, a construct that, that makes you feel like you can have security through it? Maybe they're bad examples. Maybe they're good examples. Even think about our actual American forefathers, the, the structures of our society that say that if you work hard enough, then you will be successful and that you will be provided for and you can have hope in the future that you create, the retirement that you create. It's, all, it's this driven culture towards materialism. If you get a little bit more stuff, then you'll be satisfied. And that's a lie. Those things will fade away. I keep getting this picture this week of, of, of us holding like dirt in our hands and a gust of wind just removes it. And I think that we have to approach these things in our lives, even the people, it's a, they're, they're perishable. They're going to, 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 to blow away, it, at, even at the smallest gust of wind. And we take these things in life that come, whether they're, whether they're job losses or, or loss of family members, miscarriages, these things that come in life and they, they just, they, this gust of wind and it just blows away and we left and we're like, why? Why? But those things are perishable. So the question becomes, well, then what is the living hope? What is the imperishable thing about this hope and this dream that we have? This is why the story of Christian community is so much different than what it said out there. We have a hope in something that actually doesn't fade away. It says in this passage that our hope is built on the precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless. The living hope is a person. And this is the thing about Jesus. Is even when Jesus entered onto the scene, he looked, in, he looked perishable. He was in human form. He looked like if we can just put him on a stake, we can get rid of him, and then he will perish, and he comes back. You, you can't, he, he reveals to us, that is the revelation of Jesus, is that he doesn't fade away. He's not going anywhere. And I think that even our approach to the Father should be this, is to understand he's not going anywhere. That's why it tells us the word of the Lord endures forever. He's not going anywhere. It doesn't matter even if you turn your back on him, he's staying, he's staying there. That's hope. That's hope for all of us. That when I leave, he's not, he's not going anywhere. Right? If the perishable things that you trust in, in this world, and you leave, they're leaving. Because they don't care about you. All right? When the rubber meets the road, they don't care. But we're talking about an imperishable life with Christ that says, I care about you for who you are, not for what you've done. That is hope. So consider, he says, consider your forefathers. I would encourage you to consider your father. Consider that you are grafted into a story of a loving father. That's truth. And he foreknew you. It says in Psalm 139 that he knew your inward parts and formed you in your mother's womb. It says in this passage that, that God foreknew Jesus. And that he sent him for your sake. So before you were ever even thought of, Jesus was thought of for you. That's imperishable. That's imperishable because it didn't have anything to do with you. You weren't even here. Right? Like, he, Jesus wasn't even here. It, it, was, 
It was this triune God dreaming about the imperishable life that hope that you could have here on earth. And that can happen now. It's not just some distant reality. It can happen now. So what it says in, in Romans 8. I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. No gust of wind that comes in your life can separate you. And that doesn't mean, that's not because of you. All right, so don't take ownership like, oh, yes, I'm, that's not because of you. That's because of God. God. God loves you so much that he's not going anywhere. That's imperishable. If you pull up 1 Corinthians, just as we have borne the image of the earthy, we will also bear the image of the heavenly. Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound... And the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. But when the perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Death is the ultimate suffering. It's the ultimate, it's the end, right? And it doesn't have power over you. It doesn't have power over you. And that gust of wind will come one day and you will live imperishable. And that's because of God. So that's the living hope. Is that he is doing it and he's done it for you. Will you believe in that? So the other question that Peter tackles in this is how do we live it then? How do we live the living hope? If, if that's true, and I get it, like, I get, I believe it, sure. Maybe I try to believe it, I don't fully, but I, I'm okay. But how does it actually play out in my life when I'm actually enduring real circumstances? Peter will give instructions all throughout this book, and I think if we don't get it right right now, that, we're able, that there's a route to preaching this that looks really ugly. But there, if we can get it right, that the... That, the gospel is imperishable, then the instructions that he gives can be heard correctly. Because these instructions, these are some of the things he lists out later in the book. He starts getting specific. These are like rules and instructions for how to live life. Submit yourselves, do what is right, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. He gives instructions on marriage, hospitality, speaking, serving, baptism, church governance, age relations. He's going to give instructions, and he starts in this passage of already starting to give some instructions. And we have to hear these instructions through the lens of a father. If we hear it through the lens of a father, it makes sense. If we don't, it's legalism. That's all it is. So why does Peter give these present rules for life about a future existence? The answer is that he's trying to father us. He uses these, verse 2, he says, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in verse 3. Verse 14, as obedient children. 
In verse 17, if you address as father, he's trying to say that God is, is fathering you. And that looks very, I think that we have, we have this prideful approach to God where we don't want to be fathered by him. Like, uh, I, I, I know a lot, God. I don't need that relationship. How about we just be on a peer relationship? But God is, is fathering you. And I have become pretty familiar with being a father pretty quick. I have, my wife and I are pregnant again. And it's crazy. This is our, we, we miscarried once. We have, we've had four pregnancies in four years. So I, it's like trial by fire, guys. <laughs> Somebody save me, right? I'm becoming very familiar with fatherhood. And some of the things I'm beginning to notice about myself as a father is that I'm a pretty high-challenge dad. Like, I'm ready to, I'm pretty easy, quick to, to challenge. I'm lower on support. Like, that's harder for me. Um, I know some of you are the opposite, and the, you're the ones that people love. <laughs> it's diff- I, I noticed it recently. My daughter starts soccer um, next week, and I find myself being like, hey, like, I'm telling people, like, hey, she's about to start soccer. I'm so excited. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. Like, I don't know if she's really going to be any good, though. We're going to see. And I'm like, what? And Katie's like, it's not me that's noticing. It's her. She's like, why are you doing that? Because I know that's not, that's not good, just so you know. Because there's, there's this high level of challenge in me that's like, because Katie's like, oh, yeah, she's, she's, she's going to be on a team, and that's going to be really cool. They're going to have matching uniforms. That's going to be really cute. I'm like, there's really exciting things that are outside of her accomplishing something at soccer. And I'm like, yeah, but she's got to win. So. <laughs> so I'm aware of the tendency I have towards challenge. Like I, and I have to make attempts in my life to, to be present with my children outside of the restriction of challenge. So it looks like spending time playing and having fun and loving and whatever else. It, it looks like something different. And my goal is to support so much so that I can challenge them and it's actually received well. Like, that's the goal. Like, challenge isn't bad, but it has to come in the construct of, of presence and love. So we were at um, a lake house last, earlier this week, and I remember walking out with my daughter onto the dock, and the dock is very deep and it's a lake and it's murky. And at any moment, and she doesn't have floaties on, I'm walking holding her hand. And at any moment, she can do something very stupid in that situation, right? And we all know what it is. And she doesn't have any idea that it's stupid. Like, she's just like, oh, look, I'm going to lean over. And I'm like, no, stop. Like, I start, like, you know, and I, and I, get, like, I'm, I get down on her level. And I'm like, look, never do that, never. <laughs> and, like, y'all don't fault me for that, right? Like, like, she, she, has, she doesn't understand that if she falls in the lake, it's going to be very bad for her. Like, I don't even, I can't even comprehend what's going to happen in that situation. It's not good. I'm going to have to jump in. I'm going to get wet. It's going to be awful. It's going to be the worst part. <laughs> so what do I, like, so when I come down, I have to be like, I have to challenge her strongly. Do not do that. And I will strike the fear of God in her so that she doesn't play like, oh, I'm going to jump in. No. Like, do not do that. And it comes from a place of love. And you know that because you're adults. It comes from a place of love because she doesn't understand. She's three years old. We are 
younger than three years old to God. You do not get it. He is trying to give instructions so that you don't do something very dumb. And we have to be able to hear that and be okay with it. And he is present. He's not just, and if you only are there in the moments where God's like, stop, 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 or you only read this book, the Bible, and you, and you only see the no, 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 the construct of God you'll have is, is that. It's not a good picture of God because he's very present and he's waiting for you to interact with him at any moment. So, here is the things that he gives us in this passage. As a father's guide to, to loving his children and to keep you in check to live the living hope out. He gives us six things. First one is prepare your mind for action. This would be translated probably better now. Buckle up your seatbelts. P- pull up your sleeves and get ready because the trial is coming. Okay, it's, it's, you can't escape it, it's coming. If you, if you haven't experienced real trial yet, you haven't lived long enough because it's coming. And you have to be ready for it. Number two, stay sober-minded. This isn't, an, a, a, isn't him saying, don't drink alcohol, okay? This is him saying, you need to have your brain not cluttered up with so much stuff that you can't actually intake the, pro- the problem when it happens, like, we live in a society that's just constant taking in information. Like, we can watch, like, eight hours of Netflix, and, like, it's really cool, and it's like, uh... And then problem hits us, and we have no grid. Psychologically, there is a capacity that you have to be able to emotionally interact with problems if you're going to exhaust all of your energy towards other things. Stay sober-minded. Number three, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you with the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is a choice to believe that the imperishable reality of your future can have an impact on your present. And you have to choose to believe that because the world tells you that you are crazy. Number four, be holy. And we hear that and we think, all right, I'm going to do all the right things. God is saying, just be different. It is, you, your trials can shape you or you can shape your trials. Your trials can shape you, and they will. Or you can be the one who acts differently when they come. And then the world will see that you love him. Number five, conduct yourselves in reverence to God. The, the version the translation I read was said fear. I think it's better translated reverence. This, this word would actually be used as like a wife or a husband revering their spouse. It's the type of relationship where you... You're not going to act in a, in a disrespectful way. It's disrespectful to God when you choose perishable things when he is offering you life. Number six, and I think this is where I want to land tonight as we close, or this morning, what day is it? <laughs> he says, fervently love one another. And when our trials come to us, it is a normal response to silo yourself when God is calling you to community. So, what does it look like to acknowledge your pain out loud to people and be able to let people come in and to do that for the other person? Right? Like, your, your trial is not the only thing happening in the world. I know it seems big, and it, and it, it it is big, 
But it is not the only thing. It's not the only thing happening in this room right now. And the people around you need you. They need you. So fervently love one another. So what we're going to do in worship, why don't you guys go ahead and come on up in prayer teams. I felt like to close service today that we were, God is calling the fathers and the mothers and the, the parents in the room, and not just the actual parents, the ones who are, maybe have come out of trial and you've found hope, or maybe you're in trial right now and you feel hope. The one, I feel like there's a desire for God to have us parent each other and to father and mother each other. So if you feel like you are at a spot where maybe you have been through stuff and you're equipped and you feel like God's calling you to, to just pray for people today in regards to that, would you just raise your hand in the room? One. I'm going to need more than this. Two. This may be reality if, if no one's. Four, five. Okay. For, I, I think that these people are supposed to go to the other people in the room who feel like currently life is hopeless and currently things don't make sense and currently things are a total mess and you're trying to figure out how and why. Maybe you're, a good indicator is you're asking a lot of questions right now, a lot of doubts, a lot of fear about what's going on, and maybe you're here as like a last-ditch effort because you're really confused, if that is you, I would ask you to also raise your hand. Here. Here. There's no shame. If we're honest, it's probably all of us. Okay. All right, so why don't we all stand? Those people that just raised their hand feeling very hopeless and just needing some encouragement, some love, some support, would you raise your hand up a little bit higher so that people can, can really see who you are? And those that, that before or you feel like a desire to pray for some of these people, if you would gather around them during this time and lay a hand on, pray, encourage, offer some love and support. If you want other prayer that's more specific, come to these prayer teams up here. I'm going to close. Father God, thank you. I pray that you would provide hope. I pray, God, that you would provide an avenue of strength. And, God, that you would cause us to see that, that you rose from the grave, that there is resurrection on the horizon for each person here, that it's not the end. The end of the story is not written right now. It is coming and we rejoice in that. And so, God, as we enter into this time of prayer, God, that you would bless, that you would encourage, that you would provide hope in the mighty name of Jesus. In the mighty name of Jesus, the only one who can save, the only one who provides, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In Jesus' name, we come before you, God, and ask that you would move us into this week causing us to realize that you are our hope and it is only in you that we have it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for joining us today and please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com.